to another episode of Elevate Your Running Podcast. My name is Sarah Mandershad. I'm here with my co-host, Austin Myers. And today, we are talking about can runners have quality and quantity in training? I'm so excited to have this conversation today. I'm pretty sure Austin is too. Hey, Austin, how's it going? I'm doing great. I'm I'm definitely excited to dive into this discussion. I think we're going to be able to approach it from a lot of different angles. And I think there's a lot of questions that we'll be able to ask um, in response to that initial question as well. So it should be a great discussion. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's so many times where we think like, can we have both? Does one need to kind of like overshadow the other in order to have a successful training belt? So we're going to get into that shortly. Before that, we're going to kick off with our elevated moments of the week. And Austin, I'll let you share yours first. Yeah, well, speaking of mileage, um, I've been able to, over the past week, join two of my friends uh, for their long run. One friend is training for an ultra marathon this fall. The other friend is training for the Chicago Marathon. Uh, So I got to join both of them on their long runs last week. And that's just a ton of fun for me to like be able to not only join someone's training, but also also just be able to like ask about how it's going for them, what their thoughts are so far in the training cycle. And, um, you know, especially at a time where I'm not quite to that 16 weeks out point from my own marathon. I kind of have some flexibility with my training still, and that's definitely something I've enjoyed embracing over the past few months. Absolutely. Having that flexibility in training is so great, especially when you put your head down and have 16 weeks of really, really tough, hard, intense training, like I'm sure your marathon prep will be. Um, but it's awesome that you were able to get out. I think I saw in your stories last week, you ran like one day you got to run like a half marathon and like 13.1 miles with a friend and like being able to do that. Um, it's a great place to be and it's only going to help you in Indianapolis this fall. Yeah, absolutely. Sarah, what about you? What is your elevated moment for the week? Yeah, I'm going to piggyback off of yours a little bit. Um, last week was a very busy week. It was a very extroverted week for me. (laughs) There were a lot of group runs and, A lot of group runs. I had seven runs last week. Um, I double on Wednesdays. Some Thursdays I take off. Uh, Last week I got Thursday off. And so out of those seven runs, I had five with groups. Um, So that's quite a bit. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of energy. But at the end of the day, it's something that I know is so great for so many reasons. And later in life when running isn't such a huge like focal point into my life, I know I'm going to look back and think like, those were the days. Like those were like, how fun was that? How cool was that? Like I get to do this. Um, even if it means driving to Denver three times in a week for group runs, um, it's something I get to do. And the Highline, we on Sunday, the Elevate team got to meet at the Highline Canal in Denver. Um, Austin, I think you and Abby ran that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? It's a great yeah. run. Yeah, it is. It's so nice um, to be able to not only get together as a team, we all showed up around 7.15 and then got our run on, um, but it's shaded, it's flat, it's soft surface, you can see the mountains, Um And so 
it felt really, really good in all those, in all of those ways. And it was just really great to connect with some of the newer Elevate athletes too, who are training for like New York and, um, the fall equinox in Fort Collins later this fall. So that was great too. And definitely such a win. I know it's sometimes I can get a little, um, a little down with how much time it takes out of my week, but ultimately it does feel fill the cup when I'm there. So that's a good thing. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, running for me has been like the greatest lesson in appreciating what you have while you have it. Any times over the past, like two years where I haven't been able to run for a variety of reasons, I'm like, man, I wish I would have enjoyed it a little bit more when I was able to. And then when I get it back, I'm like, man, I, like, I'm not going to take this for granted again because there's just some days where it gives you exactly what you need, whether it be just like some movement, a good sweat, the confidence that you need moving forward for your day. And it's just been such a great takeaway for me and my early running journey to, to really see that like, not only can we not take running for granted, but don't take these other areas for granted as well. Yeah, for sure. It's such a unique opportunity that I get as a coach, I know there's not a lot of coaches that run with their athletes and have a lot of community group runs that are open to the public. I mean, they're free. People can show up, and it's a lot of fun. And um, and it's it's just so great to see the athletes at the end of the run like feel strong, feel happy. They want to talk about their run. They want to talk about their paces. Like they're just so excited, um, which feels really good. And yeah, it's a big win. Yeah. And I will say on a funnier side, um, you know, I was living in Colorado. That's when we met. That's when I started to join the groups that you put together for some of these long runs. And I never could understand why people drove to go run. Like it just didn't make sense to me. I'm like, no, you walk out the door, you go run, you get it over with, you save time. And then I think the combination of living in Colorado, which there's so many beautiful places to go and see, and different areas to run um and just again the community aspect of it like it's worth Mm -hmm. it because you get to carve time out of oftentimes your saturday sarah for you a lot of times you're doing some of these runs on weekdays as well you're taking the time but you get the return of the community of the experience and that's definitely been another lesson that i've i've been appreciative to to understand and have carried with me to new places. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. I mean, I was definitely questioning the drive on Sunday morning <laughs> because yeah. I thought, oh gosh, my 10 mile long run, it would have been easy to just leave right from my place and like have it done in 90 minutes and I can move on with, you know, all the other things on my list for the day. Um, I'm definitely a list person, but Um, it's so fun to run the high line and it's so fun to see such a great group come out and some friends come out. And I think too, it's like a lot of times with those in-person runs, there's like friendships and bonds that are formed with other teammates. And then they get together on different days of the week to run and they follow each other on social and they like really support each other in other ways. So it's like, it's a really, really nice, like value add to those group runs. So I guess moral of this elevated moment is if you have the opportunity to run with a group, you should definitely, if it's outside of your comfort zone, just like try it. It's outside of my comfort zone. I don't think we've actually talked about that. I (laughs) have, (laughs) 
Um, I only ran alone until the pandemic. And then when I started my group runs in Denver during the pandemic, because all the other group runs were, were gone, I was like craving like connection and community so much. That's how all these like groups formed and they're awesome. But I know there's probably some people who have asked me to run one-on-one during the week. And if I have a heavy group run week, like last week, yeah. there's no other <laughs> other runs being scheduled with other people. I just like need that and want that solo time. So if you're like me in that way, it's okay. You can balance it for sure. And you might find a friendship, a connection, um, a new race to run. Maybe it's a job. Like you never really know what's going to pop up from putting yourself out there and meeting new people. So um, something to definitely consider. And of course, if you're ever in the Denver area, um, my website has all of the the group run information, uh, current group run information listed. So it'd be fun to have you join us. They're open to everyone. Yeah, and you can see that episode in the show notes. Um, this discussion today is going to be fun. We are going to center it on the idea and the question of can runners have quality and quantity with higher mileage? So before we really dive into answering that question, we want to make sure that we are addressing and defining both what quality and quantity is. Sarah, I'm going to let you kind of be the jumping off point here, specifically in defining quality and the importance of quality for runners but also how it can potentially impact our ability to rack up the mileage to a higher level. Yeah, I mean, I want you to think of quality as anything that is faster than really easy pace, right? So quality might be represented as a speed or track workout or interval training or hill running or moderate pace. It's really anything that's in the gray zone or faster. It could be those fast 400s on the track, the fast 200s on the track. Um, So quality is really anything that kind of encompasses something faster. It's quality running. We can get a lot out of a very small chunk of quality running. Um, So it can, like I've mentioned, like it can be in a lot of different ways. I think oftentimes when we're hill running, we don't see that as like a quality session But it really is because it's hard. It's a different type of hard than maybe running 200s or 400s on a track, but it's still intense. You're still working um, and you're still really making a deposit in the training bank for your upcoming race. And isn't that something we all want to do? So oftentimes you'll hear that 80-20 rule with um, 80% of easy running, 20% is, you know, workouts or speed or quality. And yes, general rule of thumb, 80-20 for sure. If you're new to running and new to speed work, that could look something like 90% is easy and 10% is quality. It could mean if you're a very seasoned runner, if you've been stacking up those marathon seasons um, and marathon training builds or half marathon training builds or really 5K and 10K too, we don't want to leave those distances out, like you could be shifting closer to that like 70-30. I know yesterday when we were preparing for this podcast, 
I kind of looked back on like my Boston build and what my percentage is. Running Explained coach Elizabeth Scott mentioned, I don't know if it was on our podcast or if it was on one that I listened to, that it's not really about just the quality time spent on feet or quality miles that you're running. Let's say, for example, you have a track workout, two and a half of those miles, it's a six mile total run, two and a half of those miles is on the track, it's fast. You're ripping some 400s, right? (laughs) 10 by 400 meters. Can you count two and a half miles as quality or do you count the total six miles as quality? She has said, and this has been backed up by doing other research, like that it's actually the total run should be counted as the quality session, not just the miles run. Um, because even though you're warming up and you're cooling down, it's still within the same workout and you're still stressed. Your body is still extremely stressed through that quality. Um, so that's something to take note if you're looking at your training and you're wondering, where do I fall? Am I at 80, 20, 78, um, 78, 18, wait, would that be 78, 18? I can't do math. That's yeah. Late. Yeah. No, 78, yeah. 22. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 22. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Just keeping you on your toes, Austin. (laughs) Or is it 70-30? Now that's easier. 70-30. So really taking a look at that is, I think, first and foremost, but quality is such an essential piece to running, but it also is something that gets to be very intentional. It's something that new newer runners don't necessarily need. It's something if you're in base building, you might not have. And it's also something where um, if quality doesn't serve you, it's also not going to show up in your plan. And that's okay. I think oftentimes we get kind of wrapped up in wanting to do it all. Um, And, you know, less is sometimes more with quality work. Yeah, Elizabeth Scott was episode 57 of this podcast titled Why Heart Rate Training. She did a really great job in that episode of discussing the importance of understanding where your heart rate's at, what easy running is, why easy running is so important, and then the differentiations of easy running from that quality work. So even if you've already listened to that episode, might be one that is worth revisiting at this stage of your running this year. I mean, we're sitting at a really pivotal point of running for a lot of people who have goals um, in the fall. I shared a post from Tracksmith, uh, which is a running mm-hmm. apparel company, and I just thought they did a really good job in this post. They're, they're very creative forward, and there was the caption of the the image that kind of just said, and I'm paraphrasing, that summer you know, is kind of, I don't even really remember how it was said, but basically like summer is that point where you don't want to give too much just yet, but the work that you do in the summer is still equally important. And that's where we're sitting. We're sitting in that stage of summer. Maybe you're listening to this podcast as we we get closer to, you know, that really pivotal point of, of fall marathon or half marathon or race training in general. But it's important to understand where you fall on that scale of what kind of quality can you control uh, or what kind of quality can you really hold 
uh, as an athlete on a weekly basis? Like what can you do without going too far? And then where does quantity, the total amount of mileage that you have come into play? The two rules that Sarah, you've already mentioned the 80, 20 rule. That's a general guideline for like what is best for the majority of the population. But from that general guideline, you can then begin to learn more about yourself as an athlete. Maybe if you're working with a coach, that coach is going to learn more about what you can handle and also what is important for your specific goal. And the other rule that we'll discuss a little bit later is the 10% rule in terms of raising your mileage on a weekly basis. The general guideline is to not raise your mileage more than 10% per week. And again, it's a general rule, but it applies to most people and it's a good jumping off point for people to understand generally what is too much and what is too little. And really what we need to reference here is the growth equation. Stress plus rest equals growth. So why is it an issue to have both an increase in quality and quantity of mileage? It's because you're leaning too far into the stress aspect of that growth equation. And there's only so much rest that you can do to negate potentially overflowing your cup with stress and quantity is a form of stress and increase in mileage is a form of stress. And so is quality of mileage. And you'll feel that through experience. Maybe you're working through a prep right now. And if you have something that you haven't done before, I remember, Sarah, when you and I were working together, um, I did a few doubles at one phase of the training cycle. So I think we were working on Wednesdays. I would do a speed workout. Later that day, I would do uh, an easy run that afternoon. And then the next morning, Thursday morning, I would do another easy run. And I noticed immediately the feeling of stress on my body that Thursday morning. Those were some of the hardest easy runs in terms of just getting through it mentally because I felt fatigued. But that's a stress that could be beneficial as long as it's not too much. Like probably not smart to then, you know, raise mileage too far or have a really quality long run later that week if the fatigue is already there. It's all about understanding which dials we need to turn. And I think that's the question we need to answer this week. Yeah, and it's 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 tough to like totally answer and we talked about this before recording. It's like it depends on I mean every athlete is so different and the season of training that they're in is so different and if they have stress going on in their personal life, if there's health issues, if there's work stress, relationship stress like that all plays a huge factor. I think also the type of terrain or the type of race that you're training for can be its own stress. If you're training for a really hilly marathon, um, there's going to be extra stress put on your body because you're running more hills, you're running more incline, um, mostly probably found in that long run. So I think it really comes down to each athlete where they are now, where they want to go and taking their last prep, if they've had a last prep and take a look at it, evaluate what worked, what didn't work, how you felt throughout all of it, and then apply one small thing 
one small like stressor to the next cycle and see how that goes. Because oftentimes we want it all, right? We want it all. I wanted the 80 we- the eighty mile weeks for Boston training and it didn't happen. And that's okay, right? Like we want it all and we can't get it all. And I think, um, especially with running, it takes so much patience and so much time to get to a point where you can run doubles. You can have quality on a track workout and in a long run. You can have hills in that training as well. Like it just takes so much time. And I think it's important to to know that and to understand that. But also if you can just have a really nice approach and be very strategic with just adding a small stressor to each training cycle, you'll probably hit your tipping point before getting injured or burnt out, which is what we ultimately want, right? Um, Because if you apply too much stress, like Austin mentioned, Um, specifically in one training prep, you're most likely getting injured or burnt out or both. Yeah. I think as an athlete who is coached, it is important to be your greatest advocate in the way of being able to communicate how you feel and, and what could be working with your coach and what could potentially be too much. And then as an athlete who may not be coached, maybe you're just running off of a uh, training plan that you found or you are kind of going through, um, you know, training on your own and trying to design that, I think it's important to be a student and to really, like, think deep into, number one, what you're doing, being intentional about the decisions that you make because we don't want to enter a prep and say, okay, it's go time, and then go all in and you know, stress goes through the roof and then we find ourselves injured. I'm sure that happens to a number of people every single year who enter a prep and they just kind of view it as like the green light to go all in, but it has to be a very gradual approach. It's endurance training. Um, You have to have endurance in the training as well as on the race day. There has to be in a way, like a pacing strategy to the training in the same way that you're going to have a pacing strategy to your race. And that is really where the benefit of a coach comes in is they can look at it without ego because they don't care how much mileage you're running a week. They only care that you are able to make the progressions necessary and they can keep you focused on what the main goal is, what you are hoping to achieve in a matter of 12, 16, or 20 weeks. But if you go all in on week one, two, and three, you may not make it to week 12, 13, and 14. So it's about having endurance in your training as well as carrying that through to race day and building that really strong foundation. Now, let's discuss mileage specifically. Higher mileage running is definitely a popular topic um, for both professional runners and everyday runners like ourselves who just want to get better over time. Sarah, what do you feel are the benefits of higher mileage running and, and why is it such a popular trend for people nowadays? Yeah. I mean, I think like, you know, there's, there's conversations and talk about, well, how many miles are you running this week? Or what's your, how many miles are you running today? Um, 
And I'm laughing because not just because Kenzie needs to be making her presence in every podcast, but I'm thinking back to that, like Laura, is it Laura, Laura, Lauren Green, um, comedian. And she just put a reel together of like, well, what are you training for? And she's like super obnoxious. And all she's doing is like talking and asking like, what are you training for? What are you training for? And I feel like in society, at least in the running community right now, it's also like, well, how much are you running? Or you start to notice how much, how many miles or how much time on feet other athletes are running. You know, I typically post a Garmin selfie and I started that years ago and I had some like kind of negative feedback from some people about it. Um, and it was coming from a place that was like geared towards how many miles I was running. And I thought, oh gosh, that's not even what it was about. It was about to show consistency. So it's kind of interesting to see like that dynamic of like some people or most people, like we all kind of gravitate towards like maybe the higher mileage you run, the more of a real runner you are, right? Because we all have that like feeling that we're not a real runner until we like do X, Y, Z, which is BS, everyone. We are all real runners, no matter if you are run walking or running 100 mile weeks. Um, To me, it's like, there's so many great benefits of really inching that mileage up with each training cycle. So oftentimes I'll, you know, look at an athlete, whether they had a prep um, and now we're going through our first prep together. I'll look at back on their previous prep. Um, or if it's, you know, athletes that I've worked on, worked with on multiple preps, looking back on that peak mileage, how they felt, and then adding just a little bit more to the next training cycle. So let's say their peak mileage was like 55 miles for one week in their last training cycle. Well, then this current training cycle going for that same distance, we might hit 55 one week and then maybe 58 for peak and then start to pull back, right? So it's just like inching up. Um, But I also think it's really, really important for the athlete to be an advocate for themselves, whether they have a coach or whether they're coaching themselves, right? Because if you don't have a coach that you're partnered with, guess what? Your coach is you. So you get to be an advocate to yourself and really be honest with yourself or with your coach on what's happening, how you're feeling. Um, You know, when I first started working with Nell, it's like basically a year ago, I told her, I think only twice, I said, I run great on high mileage. I know I do. I want high mileage. This is like something I need. And she looked back on my CIM prep and, you know, evaluated me over like the first few weeks of working together. But she's like, yeah, you're good. And like, obviously we tweak things as needed. Like I said earlier in this episode, I didn't reach 80 miles for Boston like we wanted to. Um, We definitely still have to have that balance and listening to your body and knowing and pivoting and shifting in each training cycle, right? But there are so many great benefits to higher mileage you know, it really does prepare you to run longer. It prepares you to run faster using less energy. It really builds that aerobic engine in your body like we've talked about. Um, If you have the time, if you have the desire, if you have the body, and I don't say body as in like body shape, but your body 
does well running high mileage, i.e. you stay healthy, um, I want to give that athlete as much as we can do without tipping that, you know, tipping over that scale and having them either injured or burnt out. Um, because there are so many great benefits just with that aerobic efficiency, being able to run longer, faster, using less energy. It also prepares you, um, for that fatigue in your race. So Austin, like you were mentioning when you had Wednesday doubles and then going into that Thursday, the next day on tired legs, right? Cause you were probably running. My guess was like 14 to 18 miles on Wednesday. That Thursday probably didn't feel good, but gosh, it got your body, it got your mind prepared for when you were going to start to fatigue at the Buffalo Marathon. And as long as you can kind of shake out that fatigue by the end of that recovery run, so it could mean even in the last minute of that Mm -hmm. run, to me, that's like such a good place to be for an athlete. It's when the athlete continues to feel fatigued in runs and they never kind of flow out of it that's or even having like three or four days like that that is a very scary place to be because you're probably overtraining you're not recovering hard enough and there's an injury or burnout waiting to happen but the higher mileage also will produce a faster race it just is and it's also going to be it's also going to build that fatigue and mental toughness that comes with racing hard because Austin, I know you've been there. I've been there. When you're running, what it doesn't even matter what mileage you're running, there are going to be days where you don't want to go out and run maybe the designated distance or time on feet, or maybe you just don't want to go out at all. Um, but proving to yourself that you can, getting through that run is one of the biggest wins um, out there during training. Yeah, and just reinforcing that like higher mileage that word higher is relative. It, it literally means higher than you have been doing or you're accustomed to. So to say that higher mileage will lead to a faster race, really what we want to do is make the incremental progress in your ability to handle more mileage over a period of time, whether that be within a training cycle or even across training cycles as you continue to prep for Um, you know, given race distances, but your ability to progress is not always linear, especially when we are infusing these different forms of stress in there. So if you're using mileage as your primary metric and you're not seeing that mileage go up, but what you're not noticing is that your quality is going up. So you're doing better quality work on a weekly basis. You're still making progress just because you're not seeing the mileage climb up. And then maybe you're shooting mileage up, but you're not doing any quality. Well, that won't lead to a faster race result. You have to know how to run at faster than easy pace in order to race any given amount of mileage and to accomplish at a higher level than you have in the past. And one thing that I think is a lesson that you will learn, especially deep into training cycles, when you really begin to feel that stress is that easy miles are miles too. Easy miles represent stress too. I think I've told myself too many times that, well, this shouldn't be hard because I'm running at an easy pace. And 
it's just not true. Like you are still putting a demand on your body to get out the door and to do the effort. So don't write off fatigue. Don't, you know, not only devalue the importance of being a little bit fatigued, but also be willing to put a name to what is happening to your body throughout these training cycles. So if it's fatigue, say that you're feeling fatigued and it's okay to work through that fatigue. There's a lot of benefits that Sarah just mentioned, but if it's more than that, or if it's fatigue that's not going away, like the recovery process is not taking place as it should. You're not feeling better days following a big effort or a, a you know an infusion of stress. If you're not having that take place, that's something more than fatigue. It is fatigue, but it's going to lead to something that is more detrimental to your ability to continue training and eventually to achieve a greater result. Yeah, I mean, you're just digging a hole at that point. So it's really important to take either some extra rest days if you get to that point, um, recover hard with sleep, hydration, electrolytes, nutrition. So adding, you know, a serving of carbohydrate to each meal for a few days and see if that helps. Um, Oftentimes I hear, not often, well, I guess maybe if oftentimes when athletes are feeling this way, um, it can come down to quality. It can come down to quantity. It can also come down to nutrition. So like balancing all of that for sure. And I think it's also important to note that like when you are training for let's say a 5k or a mile or a 10k that intensity and that quality looks very different than marathon quality and um and I think it's worth noting that oftentimes it's harder on the body um it's more recovery that you get to do. The workouts are more intense. I had my first like official workout. I think I was actually still in Boston prep and Nell made me run. (laughs) I got to run 200s on the track and I thought I was going to throw up after (laughs) the end of that workout. Okay. I think I talked about this on the podcast and now Cut to, we're like 10 weeks later, and I've been running 200s like week after week after week. And it's like, I can get through it. I'm running them faster. I have more energy throughout the rest of my day. So I think it's also really important to know like the quality um, that you're doing if it's really high intensity versus the more of the marathon, half marathon effort. Um, It's going to be a lot different. And it's okay if your quality or your workouts are more intense to maintain that mileage. Or maybe you pull back from like the mileage you ran last cycle because you were marathon training. Like that's totally okay. Um, It's really just taking and evaluating where you are, what you're doing, and what's going to set you up for the best success. Yeah. The body will adapt to a consistent level of stress, like to these consistent stressors that we provide it, the body will adapt, which really speaks to the importance of being intentional about the stress that we're giving our bodies. I've been doing a lot of these shorter effort, higher intensity track workouts. So I've seen the improvements in those areas. And now when I shift over to these 
marathon pace workouts, even if they're like not marathon pace, you know, specifically as far as the exact minute per mile I'm running, but just the way that we structure the training differently and the quality differently for a marathon, as opposed to something like a one mile PR or a 5k, it's extremely different. And I actually have a funny story on this. I was sitting on the couch with Abby like last week and neither of us were talking. She was probably on her phone. I think I was just sitting there like kind of like dazed. And she's like, what are you thinking? And I'm like, you know, usually I, I'm just like, oh, I don't know. Like not really thinking anything. Don't really want to talk about what I'm thinking about, whatever it may be. And uh, she asked me what I'm thinking. And I'm like, you know, I'll actually give you the real answer, but it's not going to be very interesting. And I was like, I'm thinking about the difference between what it feels like to run, you know, like really hard 400s and to give yourself more rest, but to go all out as opposed to like running repeats of 800s on really short rest. And I'm like, both are uncomfortable. However, it's different types of discomfort. And what I've found in leaning into both of those styles of training for specific goals. And you can even carry this over to ultra marathon training where it's like, you're not doing really any quality work, but you're running very high mileage. It's all different, different types of hard, but it's still Mm -hmm. hard and it's still a form of stress. And that form of stress will benefit you, but you have to channel the quality in the appropriate way, which speaks to the importance of, identifying specifically what your goal is. Do you want to run a marathon PR? Do you want to run a 5K PR? Two very different approaches to training. Running can look very different depending on what you're training for. And I, as an athlete, really find that interesting. Oh, yeah. It's extremely interesting to test your body, do something different. I was watching a YouTube video yesterday where they were talking about like the you're going to have your breakthrough race when you do something different. Mm -hmm. And I loved that. Like do something different and then go train for that race and see what happens. So I think Austin, you and I are both kind of doing that. We're tracing, we're, um, training, you know, really like top end speed. Um, or at least you were training top end speed and like then shifting and pivoting into the marathon prep, you know, later this summer hopefully it's going to give us both that breakthrough that we want. Um, because eight minutes, Austin is a breakthrough. (laughs) It's a lot of time to take off a marathon (laughs) and it's going to be a lot of fun. And I think it's, you know, another great example. I think many of our listeners, uh, followed her. If you don't definitely follow her now and you can go back through and like watch her reels, it's run Candice run um, on Instagram, she ran 200 days of running an ultra a day. So 31 ish miles. Sometimes she would go over, which was like snuck in one like random reel one day. I thought, Oh my gosh, Candace, you're running like over 31 miles on some days. It's wild. She lives in Boulder and for her, it was one, she wanted the world record. It was to challenge her mind. It was to challenge her body. Um, I got to see her quite a few times out there. I think when I when I originally started to like see her on the trails quite a bit or on the bike path in Boulder, I thought she was just like running doubles. 
Um, but it was actually the same run. I saw her twice on my morning run and then Kenzie's afternoon walk in the winter. So it was wild. And I love it because she didn't say this at the time, but she went through, you know, she hit like her 200 days in late May. So we're about a month out, maybe five weeks out from when she ended it at 200 days. Um, she reverse tapered down, which I think was really smart and gave her body a little bit of rest. And now she's training for the Leadville 100, which she did not disclose to anything that I saw or read or anything. And I thought that was so interesting. It's like her season before the season. So her mm -hmm. season was, you know, her initial season was 200 days of just flat, aerobic, slow running. And now she is in Leadville, like mo at least she's in Leadville this week, um, crushing mountains, doing a lot of like trail running, um, and really like making it happen leading into the Leadville 100, which is in August. And, um, it's just really cool to see that you can kind of shift and pivot between each training cycle too. Um, and that's a huge win too. It all depends on your goal and what you're willing to commit to and going from there. Yeah. And anyone who struggles with motivation and consistency at a time where you don't have a specific goal, like you can remain, you know, intentional with your training and what you're doing in your running every single day by looking forward a full year and thinking, what do I want to accomplish in 12 months? Because what you're doing right now, even if it's something as simple as base building and just remaining consistent, it will influence your ability to succeed in 12 months. This, you know, running, it compounds. And it compounds to the point that you can't fake whether you did the work 12 months ago, 18 months ago, 24 months ago. What you do now, no matter when you want to achieve a specific goal it will influence your ability to succeed in the future. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, going back to quality versus quantity in terms of examples, like um, I prepped for Chicago last fall running the same mileage as my Boston prep this spring. So both both preps were right around... I think my peak was like 73 and a half for Chicago. Boston got to 73. I think I had, or I know I had five weeks above 70 for Chicago. And then for Boston, I think I only had three. And here's why. We changed the quality. So the quality was track workout Wednesday. And then the long run looked like a lot of easy miles with maybe some moderate. And then a lot of goal pace or some goal pace mileage. So a progression, right? Which is like the best long run when you get to that point of being able to handle it the best. Um, or it was just easy and goal pace. My body was able to handle it. It was summer running. Um, I know I really struggled during my Wednesday workouts and I didn't necessarily hit pace most day, most weeks. Um and, you know, it was just like trying to get used to like that, to just like track workouts and like fast and, um, something I wasn't really used to. 
And my body did really well with that. Well, with Boston, we thought, okay, we're going to like raise the mileage. Um, we're going to bump, you know, I don't think we actually talked about bumping the, the quantity, the quality, but the quality was bumped because it's Boston training. So I also had long runs on Hills. We're upping my mileage goal was to hit 80 at least one week and, um, and then still have really quality track workouts. So for this season, my Wednesday workouts actually went very well and I was running very fast. And oftentimes I was running like a little bit over the time prescribed, but that's like in a good way of like a few seconds on mile repeats or something like that, which is a great place to be. Um, my long runs got to be more like moderate to goal pace. So very little easy in long runs. And my long runs went up to 22 miles in both, in both cycles. But I also had a lot of hills and I was running a lot of boulder hills, elevation gain between 700 and like 1100 feet every weekend, unless it was something intense like Magnolia road, which that was like easy, but it was like 2,100 feet or 1,600 feet, 1,600 feet, I think. It, like a lot of my, a lot of elevation gain. The point of this is to share that like, you might be able to hold the same mileage, but just tweaking one small thing or two small things of like more quality, more hills was like too much for me. Um, because I've talked about this on, on the podcast before, and there's a very specific like Boston recap podcast about this where like six weeks before the race, I had to start to taper. Like we started to pull back because my body just like couldn't produce a long run. And, um, and it's like such a good example of how like you just want to tweak a little bit. Don't get greedy with mileage, like really try not to get greedy with mileage or quality because if you tip over too fast, too soon, like you could be injured and then you're out for the entire season. And I know some coaches coach that way. I've heard this. It's not how I coach. It's wild to them. It's like the way that they know, like this is as far as an athlete can go. I'm like, let's try and get just close enough to the edge to be able to pull back and say, I think that was, that was your max. Yeah, I always want to find the line as an athlete. Like yeah. I always want to know that I'm like riding the line and and it almost feels like in those moments that everything that you do matters from nutrition to recovery to preparation for a training session. Like you know that you are in a, a very high state of fatigue and the stress is high, but you also know that it works and that when you can maintain a high level of stress, do the appropriate recovery, and stack that throughout a training cycle, you've built the fitness and then you find the most amazing feeling in running, which I believe is that when you taper and you drop that stress all the way down and you start on race day and you really settle into that race and you feel that there's no fatigue, but there's a ton of fitness. And that's what happens when you have a beautiful like mix of quality and quantity at your level, like what works for you. And you, you make those gradual increases. You find potentially like where you don't want to go anymore in terms of like, if we push any farther, 
you know, if we extend this prep X amount of weeks, like we're at a point where, you know, we're going to need to take a, a down week or um, cut back on quality or quantity, something like that. But when you find that point, you get through the training cycle, you do the taper the right way, you feel the fitness because the fatigue's no longer there. A lot of the times mm-hmm. a training cycle can actually hide the amount of fitness that you've built because you're always training under fatigue. So if you have a, a marathon pace long run near the end of a training cycle, it is probably going to feel like marathon pace is at a much higher relative effort than if you were to be on race day running marathon pace and you end up running that pace for 26.2 miles. But a few weeks ago, you're like, oh, I never could have run the full marathon at that pace on that day because the fatigue was there. So that's really the power of of fatigue and stress is it promotes growth. And then when you drop it appropriately, you see the, the high amount of fitness that was built, but the stress was the necessary precursor to that fitness. Absolutely. I mean, I think the most humbling thing is running a marathon and then trying to like hit marathon pace two weeks later for like one mile. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, your body's obviously still recovering, so it can't. And it's like, Oh (laughs) yeah. So humbling. But I also want to note like for the taper too, um, you know, every taper is different. And unfortunately I feel like, you know, it's, you just don't know how the body's going to respond to the taper. Usually a lot of it has to do with the training cycle, how well the athlete recovered during like the stressful training sessions or the quality. Um, so that would be on your speed day and then maybe your long run, depending on how many cycle you cycles you've been through. So just know that like, if you say like, oh my gosh, my first marathon, my taper was perfect. Like, congratulations. It might take you a few more cycles to get another perfect taper. Um, It's just so hit or miss. It's so wild, but we just don't know how long the body's going to take to recover, um, how much it needs to recover. And that's something to take into account too. Yeah. So, I mean, when you're considering, am I going to raise mileage quantity or am I going to up my quality of efforts above easy pace? It's really to me about being able to be reflective of how you're feeling in your training. Do you feel like you're at a point where, you know, the stress isn't where it needs to be to make improvements? It I think proximity to a race is extremely important as well. Like if you're working with a coach, again, another great benefit to working with a coach is they're oftentimes doing the backward planning that we as athletes don't do. So they're saying, okay, the race is in 11 weeks. We can build here, maybe take a down week here, and then build again to a peak point. But as athletes, we're living very much in the moment. We're worried about the next effort, what mileage we're running on that given week, which can fool us into believing that we can handle more than we actually can. Because like our fitness, our stress compounds too. So if you really try to up mileage and quality one week and you try to keep your training linear, which so many of us want to do, even though it it can't happen for an extended period of time, but you try to then up quantity and quality the next week and you try to do that for, for four or five or more weeks, you're getting yourself to a point where you can't handle the stress anymore. And there's a few points that are important to make here. 
number one, mileage is or should never be the primary goal. So, Sarah, your point that you made with your Boston prep recently, like you wanted to get to 80 miles for a week. That was a goal, but it was a secondary goal. It wasn't at the expense of your ability to run Boston and, number one, be healthy, and then, number two, to be able to run strong. So mileage is something cool to see. It's an indicator of progress over time, but it is not the goal. Sometimes we have to sacrifice mileage, not only in favor of quality, but also in favor of of just our ability to continue training and to show up to the start line as we should be able to show up. Number two, your ability to manage the combination of quantity and quality is more often than not a byproduct of consistency in training over time. So if you're a newer runner or if you're a more experienced runner, you'll probably see stark contrast in the ability to manage quantity and quality of mileage and effort, both on a, like on a relative scale too. So whatever, whatever hard is or whatever a high amount of mileage is for both of those athletes their ability to handle that is still going to differ based off of how long they've been training. And as Sarah's mentioned, there's always the ability to look back and see what has been done, which really speaks to, again, the importance of let's set goals based off of what we've done more so than where we want to be. So like, let's look at what we've done in the past and then establish some initial goals Let's not look to you know the far off future of well one day I want to be to this point so let's try to get there immediately. Let's not play the comparison game in that way just because someone's running 60 70 miles a week doesn't mean you have to make that jump just yet. Maybe you're running 40 miles a week. Let's try to take it to 45 and then 50. It's all about making incremental progress. Never aim for the accolades of training at the expense of your health, your longevity, because those two things, more than how much mileage you're running in a week, like your health and longevity are the things that are going to keep you going forward, not the combination strictly of quantity and quality. A thousand percent. And it's so easy to look on Strava, see what people are doing, Instagram, TikTok, um, just in your neighborhood or what your friends are doing. It's very, very easy to get caught in that comparison trap and think, I need to do more. But more isn't always better. And I think it's really important to know what you can do now, what's going to fill your cup, and what's going to just move the needle a little bit to get to that next step. It's very incremental. It doesn't, you know, running is like running a marathon, right? Training is like running a marathon. It takes time. I think Oftentimes I hear athletes ask like, well, where do you think I'll be at the end of this training cycle? Or what do you see in this next month? And it's like, I mean, I take it day by day. I don't know. I mean, I I have like what I would want to happen, but I also don't like always sharing my expectations on an athlete because really it's all about how they're showing up this week, what we can do to get the most out of their training while keeping them happy and healthy, and then moving forward and seeing where we are when we get to taper. Um, That's a great place to be, but I also get that it, you know, we're in this 
life now of like wanting instantaneous results. We want to know the answers to everything and running is neither of those. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, be in it for the long game. Like when, when we're thinking about just going back to that question, can you have quality and quantity in your training? The answer is probably yes, but you know, Sarah, you haven't said it as much as I thought you would today. It depends is, is your big thing. And because it's true, it depends, but it's also relative because the answer isn't just yes. It's really yes, but only a little bit like yes, but in very small doses, can you make those improvements in synchronicity with each other? Because if you're trying to like jump quality and jump qual or quantity and quality, I keep getting these mixed up. If you're trying to jump both very like to large extents, that's where there's going to be issues. But if it's like so incremental that it's, it's barely even noticeable. And this is really, you know, if you are coached, if you've been coached for a period of time, you may have recognized this trend as an athlete. Sometimes you don't even notice the stress, like the new stress that's being introduced. You don't even notice it. You don't even notice the, the increase. Like we typically look to mileage and we're like, okay, I ran 56 miles last week, 58 miles this week. But what you didn't really take note of is the tremendous quality of the workout or two that you did that week and the amount that that's going to influence your ability to perform over the course of the training cycle and on race day. So just know there's probably factors that are playing into your ability to improve that you're not even taking note of. So don't overemphasize something as simple as mileage at the expense of something as, you know, complicated and complex as, you know, quality. Yeah, it's so true. And it's, um, something I've noticed in my own training over the last year is like usually in an up week or we have three weeks up, we have one week down typically. And, um, usually in that third week, quote unquote up, I'm actually going down a few miles. Um, so for example, in this last like three weeks, I think I ran, I don't actually know. So I, I can't, uh, I should look. So what happens is sometimes we get on the podcast and we start talking and then we want to <laughs> reference something, but we don't know the actual <laughs> numbers and data. Okay. So I ran 56, 59, 55. So that's how my three week build went. I actually had four weeks. So I was at 55, 56, 59, 55. And I'm training for a one-mile race, people. That is on the 4th of July. I'm also training for a 5K, which is later in July. But what I've noticed is that last week, she pulls me down every single time. And why? It's because the week before, it's not usually actually the week where the mileage goes down. It's the week before where my workout and my long run is hard. It's huge. It's hard. And I'm probably not going to hit pace on one of one of those days. And that's exactly what happened last week. And I had very, very fast 10 by 400 meters on Wednesday with 600 meter bookends. So 600 meters to start, 600 meters to end at very fast paces. It was my fastest 400 meter workout ever, which was awesome and a true testament to Nell's coaching. 
And then I went into mile repeats on Saturday. It was hot and it was hard. And I kind of like blew up in my last one. I just couldn't hit pace and went out way too hot at like 520 pace and couldn't recover. And I think it's important to note too, like if you're noticing those trends of like, oh, maybe my mileage is going down and then I have the cutback week or why did my mileage stay the same? To Austin's point, there's probably some other stressor going on in the week where mileage needed and got to stay the same. And that's an okay place to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, be a student, be a student of yourself as an athlete and also be a student of like the training that you're doing. Um, it's always great to ask questions. It's always great to look into what other people are doing with the understanding that there is no right way. The only right way is the way that's going to work for you in that moment and then moving forward as a result. So um, I know I've, I've found more enjoyment in my training when I've really thought about what's happening and why I'm getting specific benefits. It's a really cool feeling to be on an easy run and to not feel good on that easy run, but to then be like, oh, I don't feel good because I put out a really big effort yesterday. And then mm -hmm. th things just start to click from there. And you're like, okay, that's okay. That doesn't make this any easier, but at least now I understand and I, you can give yourself grace as an athlete. But when you don't think through these things and you're just like, why do I feel bad? I want to feel better. I want to run faster. I want to hit specific paces or mileage. Well, number one, like that's not a good mental approach sustainably. And, and it's really easy to lose sight of why you run and that you can actually enjoy running just for running's sake. But in terms of your goals, you can only push stress so far. And you have to respect that after a big period of stress, there also needs to be a, a period of recovery, whether that be an entire recovery week, whether it be just like the next day, two or three are scaled back in terms of the amount of stress you're going to feel. But like everything is a balancing act. You have to be able to balance the stress and the rest in order to be able to grow over time. Yeah. And it's important to note that it's okay to take a step back if you need to, like, in my Boston prep of, you know, starting to pull back six weeks early and managing that, it's like being okay with that and knowing you put the work in and you're still putting work in, it just looks different and everything will be okay. I think it's we when we get into that greedy mindset or we continue to push, um, it's when things start to fall apart and then training doesn't get to be fun there's burnout, there's injury, and no one wants to be at that place because we ultimately do this because on some level, some people have you know much greater love for running, but on some level, we all love running. So that's something that we all get to keep and hold close to us um, as we go through this process. Absolutely. So we hope that you have goals that you're working towards uh, this fall or end of year, and we hope that you're able to either apply some of these principles and ideas that we discussed today, or maybe it just allows you to look a little bit deeper into the training that you're being prescribed in working with a coach. Um, as always, if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to let us know on social media. You can also leave a review on the platform that you're listening to. Um, I actually kind of had to remind myself earlier this week, I listen to a podcast all the time. And I just kind of picked up that it was said, hey, leave a review. It helps us out. And I'm like, I've never left a review of this podcast. And yet I really enjoy this podcast. 
it took me two minutes. I got done and I'm like, okay, like I feel good about that because, you know, I get something out of this podcast every time I listen to it. And I know, um, as a podcaster myself that the reviews do help. So if you have not left a review of this podcast, make sure to do it very quickly on the platform that you're listening to, but perhaps most importantly, let us know that you enjoyed the episode. Let us know what you took away. Uh, because I know that that makes my day. I'm sure it makes Sarah's day as well to be able to connect with our listeners. So uh, make sure to do that. Absolutely. Thank you everyone for listening this week. We hope you loved and enjoyed this episode. Uh, Like Austin said, feel free to leave us a review, share on Instagram, um, give us your feedback, provide feedback. We'd love to hear all of it. And we will see you next week.